911. What is your emergency? I just found a body. I don't know what to do. Government officials insist that this is an isolated incident. You are listening to Nightcap, a true crime podcast. If the mystery of murder intrigues you, or if you find crime quite a curiosity. Welcome home. Pour yourself a drink, sit back, and buckle up. It's gonna get dark. Be warned, this podcast does contain explicit content and graphic descriptions of real-life accounts and cases. Listener discretion is definitely advised. Cheers, guys. Cheers. Cheers. Mm, Mommy don't like that one. Mommy don't oh, know, Daddy's getting hot. Oh my gosh, in the body shop, doing something. Else. All right, can you guys believe it? Three weeks in a row, we've got some terrible Halloween homicides for you today. But uh, who are we, guys? I'm Gavin. I'm Brittany. I'm Tara. Here's Johnny. <laughs> and I'm Hardy. I will not shed tears again today, which leads me into what we're drinking. I'm drinking the One Tree Hard Cider Boysen the Berry Hard Cider. It's another local, or is one? Yeah, product made and packaged in Spokane, so another local again. Yeah, delicious. 6.8 ABV. We'll be expecting our check next week. Mm -hmm. Yes, please. (laughs) JK. All right. Uh, Gavin, what are you drinking? I am not going to say it because I say it every time. And I did a really good job not saying it. Can you guys guess what? What was I going to say? One tree cider. No. I say it every single time I get picked to talk about my drink. Every time. Jalapeno. Nope. Well. <laughs> yes! Brittany <Whale>. got it. <laughs> but I was like, sitting here, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. Well. So I'm drinking 19 Crimes Hard Shard. It is a wine, believe it or not, y'all. I'm drinking a wine. Fancy. There's not a lot on this bottle. Oh, never mind. I lied. There's a whole fucking paragraph that tells you about the crime. That's cool. That's a whole, like, uh, it's informations. It could be an episode. It could be an episode. Mm. <laughs> Apparently, you can go to their website and download their living wine labels. It's a, uh, it's pretty tasty. I like it. Hardy didn't like it, but I like it. Yeah, it's a little too hard for me. The hard shard. I've only had the Now, red. are you just drinking it out of the bottle or? <laughs> okay, yeah, never yeah. mind. You're answering my question. <laughs> Live. (laughs) (laughs) Brittany, what about you? Oh, hi. Um, I am drinking Brewdog Ace of Tart. It's a sharp blueberry, alcohol-free, contains less than 0.5% alcohol by volume, which I know sounds so exciting. I'm kidding. Getting tart. I mean, that's, that's yeah. Um, let's see. Yeah, that's about all. 3.6 carbs, 21 calories. It's from Columbus, Ohio. Yeah, that's Columbus, about it. Ohio, maybe but I poured it into a little skull glass. See? Ooh. It's so cute Ooh. and festive. <laughs> that's cool. Because it's Halloween it's stuff. Halloween, Tara, what do you have? So I am also drinking non-alcoholic. Um, it's Bravus or Bravus. It's raspberry gauze. It's um, from California, and I've actually haven't tried it, so this is my first time. So I'll let you know. Is it Gose? Gossa. 
Gaza. Oh, that's actually really good. It's yummy, huh? Yeah, it's like tart like raspberry. Delicious. Like All right, Johnny, what are you drinking? I've had a couple of screwdrivers this evening and uh, just winded down with some Pabst Blue Ribbon. <laughs> keeping it classy. From classy to classier. I'll say keeping it crowfoot. <laughs> 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 I love it. Well, All right. Oh, well, Will. <laughs> Gavi Pants, do you got some facts for us? Oh, I sure do. Woo. And I just want to apologize to everybody. I wrote these on Xanax because <laughs> I had another MRI today and it did not go blood very well. Oh. And so they gave me Xanax so that I wouldn't freak out. Calm down. Yeah. Ready? Let's hear it. All Let's right. Let's do this. Halloween, a favorite spooky celebration, is observed on October 31st in many countries across the globe. From the USA to Canada, Mexico, Japan, Philippines, Singapore, China, Taiwan, Australia, <gasps> New Zealand, many European countries such as France, Germany, Greece, Ireland, Italy, Poland, Romania, Russia, Serbia, Spain, Sweden, Switzerland, England, and Scotland. Many of the different countries that celebrate this spooky holiday have their reasons and even their own unique names for it, such as All Hallows' Eve, or Evening, sometimes All Halloween, All Hallows' Eve, in, even, yeah, I didn't write that incorrectly, or All Saints' what? Eve. Yeah. Don't ask me, I don't know, I didn't make this up. A lot of words. That was wiki. Wiki, wiki, what? Okay. The tradition itself, though celebrated differently worldwide, has been around since the 8th century. Its origins date back to the ancient Celtic festival of Samhain, which was confusing because that is not how it is written. It is written S-A-M-H-A-I-N. Oh, and I so Samhain. literally saw a TikTok this morning about some people who are pissed off about people calling it Samhain. God forbid we read it phonetically. Right? The Celts who lived roughly 2,000 years ago, mainly in the area that is now called Ireland, France, and the United Kingdom, marked November 1st as the end of summer and harvest, and the beginning of darkness and coldness, and was often associated with death. The Celts believed that on the night before the new year, the boundary between the two worlds of the living and the dead became blurred. So October 31st, they celebrated Samhain for the belief that the ghosts of the dead return to earth. Many Celtic communities would gather and light large bonfires to burn crops and sacrifice animals to their Celtic deities, in hopes that their sacrifices would protect them from the coming winter. They even would light the fireplaces at home with the embers from the sacred bonfire for extra measure. By AD 43, the Roman Empire had obliterated most of the Celtic territories, and over the course of 400 years of rule, Roman and Celtic Samhain traditions were melded together. The first was Feralia. Oh. I didn't look that one up. It's Feralia. I'm, I'm pretty certain it's Feralia. Isn't that what I just said? Anybody else want to chime in here? He's still spicy Mommy and on Daddy are fighting. He's still spicy on the Zannies. <laughs> Feralia. A day in late October when the Romans commemorated the passing of the dead. The second day was a day to honor Pomona the Roman goddess of fruit and trees. The incorporation of these two celebrations likely explains the silly game of bobbing for apples during Halloween celebrations even today. 
When Halloween eventually made it to the mainland of America, the celebration was a mix of many different cultures, beliefs, and traditions. The first celebrations in America held in public were usually celebrations of harvest, which included dancing, storytelling, and fortune telling. Colonial Halloween festivals during the mid-19th century were more along the lines of autumn celebrations. In the second half of the 19th century, America was filling up with new immigrants. Amongst these immigrants were millions of Irish people who had fleed from the Irish potato famine. Their migration across America helped bring traditions of Halloween to the far corners of America. Throughout the many years and development of Halloween, the traditions also evolved. Americans began to wear costumes, going house to house asking for food or money, which became the practice which we know today as trick-or-treating. Along with this new trick-or-treating, the tricks grew into pranks and troublemaking. Halloween is the second most popular holiday, coming second to Christmas. When it comes to decorating, Tara... Guilty. <clears throat> Halloween brings in roughly $10.6 billion each year in consumerism, from costumes to decorations and candy. Also, I learned a little another tidbit I should have put in there. It was an interesting statistic about how much money people spend on animal costumes every year. <laughs> it's oh, ridiculous. Nice. <laughs> it's absolutely ridiculous. <clears throat> Y'all, it was a lot of money. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <love> that. <laughs> it's probably just getting worse too <laughs> probably americans hand out a whopping 600 million pounds of candy each year reese's peanut butter cups skittled followed closely by m&ms are the most popular treats to hand out each halloween skittles skittles i mean i like skittles but that i don't know i love skittles but i feel like i, I never yeah. got skittles when i was a kid yeah no oh, i definitely did I lived in the country, man. Oh, so did I. Because you didn't live on the South Hill. I we lived got, in the yeah, middle of nowhere. South Hill exactly. gave out Skittles. <laughs> the South Hill would give out full-size candy bars. What are you king talking size. about? No, king, king size. Oh, my God. We used to go to the golf course in Deer Park because they had the big candy bars. I only got cowtails. <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> I'm kidding. So, uh, let's get to the crime. Every year, much like other major holidays, the rate of crime increases on Halloween, from drunk driving to property crime. Violent crime jumps as much as 50% on the night of Halloween, which is two times the daily average. Between 2009 and 2013, over 40% of deaths caused by vehicles involved a driver who had been drinking. So be careful of those Halloween parties, y'all. Get yourself a DD. The hours of which people are out and about also play a role in crime on Halloween. Most violent crimes occur between 7 p.m. and 1 a.m., usually peaking around 10 p.m., which is also the ideal time to trick-or-treat and party. Property crime on October 31st results in a 24% increase in crime-related insurance claims across the country. Vandalism is quite popular, while theft and breaking and entering make up 60% of crimes committed on Halloween. So lock them doors, y'all. Also... Also, nobody's giving away free drugs in your kids' candy. <laughs> I know. Nobody wants to give away those free drugs. And that's what I got for facts. Well, thanks, Gabby. You're welcome. I, I thought I did pretty good on that. I think you did very good, especially for being on them Zanny bars. Yeah, mm-hmm. but I did not get in my Halloween candy. Nope. Got them from the doctor. Miss Brittany, would you like to tell us about your Halloween homicide? You guys ready? Oh, I'm ready. I haven't it. told a case in so long. How exciting. Hit us with your best shot. Make it nasty. All right. So I am going to tell you guys about the murder of Shirley Lynette Ledford. 
1979, 38-year-old Lawrence Bittaker and 31-year-old Roy Norris went on a five-month murder spree that left five young girls brutally raped, tortured, and murdered. They became known as the Toolbox Killers. Now, this case is enough for like a whole ass episode on its own, which apparently would be a theme considering our first deep dive episode was uh, about David Parker Ray, who was also known as the Toy Box Killer. I was going to say, I was going to say that. I was like, didn't we do that? But no, that was just one guy. Yeah. And if anyone wants to listen to that, it's on episode 11 of season one. And it's my quote unquote favorite murder. It's a weird thing to say. It's a favorite. Very Anyways. Weird thing to say. Yeah. But yeah. But you know what I mean. I'm just, I'm just happy it's not Tim Allen. <laughs> Tim the Tool Man Taylor. <laughs> <laughs> well, he comes in later in the story. Plot <laughs> oh. twist. Oh. <laughs> But anyway, so for tonight, though, obviously, it's Halloween homicide, so I'm just going to tell you guys about the pair's final victim, which was Shirley Lynette Ledford, who was kidnapped and murdered on October 31st, 1979. So Shirley was only 16 years old, and she had left a Halloween party that she was at in a suburb of Los Angeles and decided that she was going to hitchhike home because... Why not? It was the 70s. So she was standing outside of a gas station waiting to hopefully find a ride when a van driven by two men pulled up and offered one to her. Shirley most likely felt comfortable and went with them because she saw a familiar face in the driver's seat, Lawrence Bittaker. He um, often dined at the restaurant that Shirley worked at part time. So her decision to accept their ride would leave her dead within two hours. Mm. Um, So the men wasted no time, and within minutes of her getting into the van, Bittaker drove them to a secluded area where Norris pulled out a knife and proceeded to bind and gag her with construction tape. For the next two hours, the men would switch places, one of them driving the van aimlessly around, while the other tortured and sexually assaulted Shirley in really fucking horrendous ways. So soon after she was bound and gagged, the men swapped spots and Roy drove while Lawrence played his sick games with her. He removed the tape from her mouth and legs and began to torment the poor girl. He first began by slapping and mocking her. He would slap her repeatedly, saying, say something, girl, huh? He then began to beat her with his fists while saying, you can scream louder than that, can't you? What's the matter? Don't you like to scream? While Shirley pleaded with him, what do you want me to say? Don't touch me. I should add that the reason why there's so much known about what happened and what was said is because the men recorded audio of the entire attack that was later found. Why? Also fucking idiots. Yeah. Yeah. So as the attack progressed, Lawrence pulled a hammer out of the toolbox that the men kept in the back of the van full of tools that they would use to torture and eventually kill their victims, hence the toolbox killers. He began to alternate between hitting her with the hammer, beating her breast with his fists, and sexually torturing her with pliers, all while also raping and sodomizing her. At one point, the men switched again, and Bittaker drove as Norris took his turn torturing and raping the 16-year-old. He began by yelling at her, go ahead and scream or I'll make you scream. Ledford begged the man, I'll scream if you stop hitting me, followed by high-pitched screams until Norris ordered her to stop. 
Roy then reached for the sledgehammer that was in the toolbox and hit Shirley on the left elbow. She told him that he had broken her elbow and begged, don't hit me again. He then raised the sledgehammer and struck her 25 consecutive times on the same elbow. This entire time, Shirley is heard on the audio recording, yelling, crying, and begging for them to stop. After two hours of nonstop torture and rape, the tape gets quiet as Roy Norris put a wire coat hanger around her neck and tightened it with pliers, killing the 16-year-old. Reports say that she died with her eyes open. Wanting to make sure that they could watch the discovery of their sick work in the press, they chose to dump her body on the lawn of a randomly selected house in the neighborhood. What the fuck? They left her badly battered body in a bed of ivy in someone's front lawn, where it was discovered the next morning by a jogger. Which is why you shouldn't go jogging in the morning. Apparently. Don't, just don't go jogging. Fine. Don't walk your dog. Yeah, no dog walking. No jogging. In addition to the obvious signs of sexual battery and strangulation, an autopsy revealed that she had extensive blunt force trauma to the face, head, breasts, and of course, her left elbow. Her genitals and rectum had been torn apart by the pliers that were used to sexually assault her over and over. Her left hand had a puncture wound and her right hand was slashed, which to me sounds like defensive wounds, and she tried to fight these monsters off. I don't want to go too much into the conclusion of this case because I definitely think that a deep dive is in order. These two men were fucked up and sick beyond belief and had four other victims prior to her. But they were eventually caught and served time for their heinous crimes until they both died in prison many years later. In April of 1997, Roy Norris described his recollections of the audio recordings from that night. He said, we've all heard women scream in horror films. Still, we know that no one is really screaming. Why? Simply because an actress can't produce some sounds that convince us that something vile and heinous is happening. If you ever heard that tape, there is just no possible way that you'd not begin crying and trembling. I doubt you could listen to more than a full 60 seconds of it. That was intense. Yeah, it's pretty fucked up, huh? Yeah, none of us have anything to say. Yeah, I'm literally speechless. Like, yeah. usually I always have something to say, but that... Uh, it's like uh, bringing back the trauma from Tara's case. Those those pliers that... Uh, yeah, and uh, let's just say that I scrolled... I didn't look too much into the other murders, because I just obviously was focusing on this one, but um, just from scanning the stories, there are definitely other tools that are also used that are... Um, not awesome either. So, well, I hope their we'll, deaths in prison were slow and painful and all of the yeah. things. I mean, yeah, I think that one of them died in like it was like 2009. So, I mean, like they were in there for a long time. And, um, but yeah, anyways, that's my awful case. Don't hitchhike. Thank Don't you. Don't hitchhike. Don't jog. Many Don't weeks. walk your dog. Don't go swimming. Just stay inside your home forever. Lock, lock your doors. <laughs> lock them. <laughs> but yeah. Don't be a serial killer. Don't talk to strangers. I mean, yeah, that too. Don't kill people. Like that right. would also probably be a good thing. Not cool. victim blaming. Don't rape people. Yeah, did, yeah. It's the it's their problem. It's not other people's problem for existing. So 
as children, we always hear stories of razor blades and apples and poison candy. Our teachers would hand out flyers at school urging parents to check their children's candy before consumption. And even though we never came across any tainted treats, it makes one wonder where these tales come from. On October 31st, 1974, the O'Brien family, Ronald, his wife, Diane, and children, Timothy, eight, and Elizabeth, five, had dinner with family friend Jim Bates and his family in Deer Park, Texas. After dinner, O'Brien and Bates took their children trick-or-treating. At one point, they came to a dark house that looked like no one was home. But the children rang the bell anyways, and when there was no answer, the children ran to the next house. O'Brien stayed behind. When O'Brien caught up to the group, he presented five large 22-inch pixie sticks. Nuh-uh. And stated that someone had answered the door after the children ran off. The straw-like tubes were filled with flavored sugar. O'Brien gave the pixie sticks to his children, the two Bates children, and a trick-or-treater who he recognized from church. Once the O'Briens returned home, Ronald told his children they could have a piece of candy before bed. Elizabeth declined while Timothy was delighted to indulge himself and wanted his pixie stick. After tasting the candy, Timothy told his father that it was bitter, so Ronald gave him a glass of Kool-Aid to wash it down. Not even a minute later, Timothy cried out to his father, telling him that his stomach hurt. Timothy started to vomit and began having convulsions. Sadly, Timothy died on the way to the hospital, less than an hour after just one taste of the candy. When Timothy's body was brought to the morgue, the medical examiner recalled the scent of almonds coming from the boy's mouth. This is often a sign of cyanide poisoning. An autopsy later later confirmed that Timothy had consumed enough potassium cyanide to kill two or three grown men. Damn. Oh, my God. Police were able to retrieve the other four pixie sticks, all of which were uneaten, and determined that someone had replaced the two top inches of each tube with granules of cyanide. Investigators had O'Brien and Bates retrace their steps from Halloween night. O'Brien gave conflicting accounts as to which house handed out the poison candy. They soon learned about O'Brien's financial problems and discovered that he had taken out multiple life insurance policies on his children. They also found a piece of machine tape where O'Brien had written down the amount of each of his bills. The total came to the amount, the exact amount he stood to collect from the insurance policies. As police dug deeper, they also learned that O'Brien had inquired about several chemical companies on where to buy cyanide and jokingly asked how much it would take to kill a person. They found a pocket knife in O'Brien's home with candy residue on it, suggesting how the candy might have been contaminated. Although O'Brien played a part, although O'Brien... On the 31st of March, 1984, Ronald Clark O'Brien dubbed the, the man who killed Halloween, also the Candyman by his inmates, was put to death by the state of Texas in Huntsville. As the liquid chemicals entered his veins, a bang mob of 300 locals shouted trick or treat and threw hard candy at a small group of anti-death penalty protesters. Hot damn. <laughs> That's his just desserts. Just desserts. Just desserts. <laughs> 
Thanks for the pixie sticks. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> I promise there's no cyanide in them. All right. So since our cases this week were pretty short, we are going to pass around a couple short case stories that we found on crimeandinvestigation.co.uk. Don't come at us, okay? The specific article is 13 Horrifying Halloween Homicides. Slop picked a row over a missing bag of candy ends in murder. So since this is all UK, I'm going to use my not-so-famous UK accent. Also, don't come at me. A row over a missing bag of candy ends in murder. You could forgive a five-year-old becoming enraged after losing a bag of trick-or-treating sweeties and throwing a tantrum. But a 55-year-old Liddell Peoples lost his cool on Halloween night in 2011 in a domestic disturbance in Chicago's South Side that turned very ugly indeed. Not able to track down his bag of Hershey's, Jolly Ranchers, and Tootsie Rolls, he accused his partner, 49-old Maria Adams, of stealing them from him. As a way of response to the accusation, she threw a plate at his head. Peoples picked up a knife and repeatedly stabbed her. She died in hospital, and her killer got 30 years over some sweets. Hardy, what'd you get? <laughs> well, first off, I'm not starting with the damn voice because mine's from Los Angeles, so... <laughs> well, mine was from Chicago. I, I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> but the article's from the UK. <laughs> I mean, they wrote it in the UK, but it's from somewhere else. Are all of these from the United States? Probably. <laughs> I mean, look at America. Come on. Yes, well, hashtag. All right. Uh <laughs> <laughs> Mine is titled A Halloween Costume, The Perfect Disguise. Los Angeles hairdresser Peter Fabiano opened his front door to trick-or-treaters on Halloween evening, 1957. Before he could reach for a few gobstoppers to throw into the brown paper bag that one was holding, bullets blasted out of the bag and into his chest. He'd been shot to death with a twenty-two caliber pistol. The pair were Goldine Pizer and Joan Robble. Rabble, rabble. Fuck it. <laughs> Both pleaded guilty to murder and served lengthy prison terms. The two were lovers. Joan was also seeing Fabiano's wife, Betty, though. Jealous and enraged, she plotted to get Peter out of the picture with Pizer's help. The date was picked as it was seen as the perfect night to skulk in the neighborhood in disguise. And it was. Not that it helped them get away with it, of course. And that's the end of the article. Hmm. Short and sweet and to the point. I wasn't expecting the lesbian lover thing, though. I didn't that either. That was a very quick plot twist. I, I got all the way down to the twenty two caliber. I'm like, all right, sounds like a good case. And I hadn't read the rest of it because I was so distracted. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, fuck. <laughs> hey, Johnny, what you got? So a Halloween tradition leads to a bullet in the head. So chucking eggs at houses and cars is always a classic. If rather juvenile and annoying, it's a Halloween prank. But after a long day at work and an evening of trick-or-treating with his girlfriend and her young son, 21-year-old Carl Jackson was in no mood for his car to get egged on Halloween night, 1998. What the fuck is wrong with you? What the fuck is happening over there? Unfortunately. <laughs> I'm 
He was in no mood. <laughs> he, was, he sounds like Eeyore over there. <laughs> Johnny, put some emotion into it. <laughs> I'm not the problem here. <laughs> oh my God. Did I fuck up? <laughs> he was in no mood for such like, juvenile pranks. <laughs> <laughs> There's no fucking mood. There's zero mood. There's no mood. No You're reading mood. it like the teacher There's just like surprise no picked you in class. <laughs> if you guys want, you guys want me to get a little more. Never coming back on your stupid podcast. Okay, should I just start from the top or <laughs> just from yeah. the mood part? Let, let, let's get it from the top. This is all no, staying in. No, <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, don't just, you start where you left off. Oh <laughs> all right, hit it. You're doing great, Johnny. But after a long day of work yes. and an evening of trick-or-treating, he and his girlfriend and her young son, 21-year-old Carl Jackson, was in no mood <laughs> for his car to get egged on Halloween night, 1998. Unfortunately for all concerned, it was. South Bronx is a tough neighborhood. <laughs> so when Carl got out of his car to remonstrate with the kid who went sunny side up on his vehicle, he took a risk. <laughs> Sadly, the risk didn't pay off. 17-year-old Curtis Sterling shot Carl right in the head, killing him instantly. <laughs> Sterling was arrested, charged, and imprisoned for murder. Every Halloween, Carl Jackson's mother sends her son a killer, telling him she's glad he's rotting in prison. <laughs> oh, shit. Johnny You should narrate a book Do you guys, do you guys like eggs? Do you like them sunny side up? I feel like I've got whiplash That was the funniest thing That I've ever experienced on this podcast so far It's not funny Case aside You give a man a mission I don't want to read mine anymore. <laughs> like any of us can do that good. Yeah, I'm definitely not that animated. <laughs> Thank you for this gift. <laughs> All right, Tara, the pressure's on. <laughs> I'll read another one. All right. <laughs> so I have all trick, no treat. When 12-year-old trick-or-treater TJ... Darashawn knocked on Quentin Patrick's door in the city of Sumter, South Carolina on Halloween night of 2008. He expected candy. What he got was 29 bullets through his front door from a fully automatic AK-47. What the fuck? 11 of which hit him, killing him instantly. The poor kid's dad and younger brother were also hit but pulled through and survived. It turns out that Quentin Patrick was a convicted drug dealer that had upset a rival gang of dealers and was fully expecting retribution. But what he got was blood on his hands and 30 years inside. Oh my gosh. Holy shit. So the poor kid just knocked on the door and the dude was like, whoa. 
All right, so I got my case from an article on Thought Catalog website. It's called Man Stabs and Kills Woman in Betty Boop Costume. (laughs) Jeremy Brian Jones was a drifter and a self-proclaimed ladies' man who was raised in Oklahoma but wound up in Georgia. He eventually befriended a woman who allowed him to stay at her home. On Halloween night 2012, after dolling up the woman's 12-year-old son and the boy's friend in makeup so they'd resemble Ace Fre- oh I should I don't know. Ace Frelly? Frelly? I should know that. Sounds and great. Gene Simmons of the rock group Kiss, Jones went to a popular tavern in Douglasville, Georgia, where he stabbed a woman wearing a Betty Boop costume to death in the parking lot. So like was the the, the guy. There's no connection between like the chick and her son and Betty Boop and. What was like the guy dressed as Gene Simmons? No, he. It's this Ace was Freely. worded it's so Freely. freely thank you. Freely. Um, no, he. It's weird. All of this is weird. He, after dolling up the woman's twelve-year-old son, oh. and the boy's friend in makeup, so they look like those people. It also like what twelve year olds are going as members of Kiss in two thousand twelve. There's yeah. a lot, and who's dressing up as Betty? There's a lot happening here, but Betty Boop died. Oh. That's why you don't see her anymore. Rest in peace, Betty Boop. R.I.P. Big ups. Well, guys, I sure am glad to be back to telling fucked up stories. I hope we didn't ruin everyone's Halloween, but it's what we do best. All right. If you have a case that you're dying to hear us tell or have any feedback, no matter how sweet or harsh, check out our website at nightcaptruecrime.com and click on the Annoy Us button. Yeah. If you like what you hear, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It's the easiest way you can help us top the charts and show your love for our show. Coming up next week, we have medical mishaps and murders. Sometimes the people we trust the most with our bodies are the ones that we cannot trust at all. Be sure to tune in and give it a listen. We'll see you guys next week. Bye. (laughs) (laughs) Why do we type this up if we don't even read them? We all read it. So good. That's great. I came. I fucking came right there. (laughs) My life juice. It's all over your podcast. Want me to do it again? No, no, no. it's good. God, that was beautiful. Over and over. <laughs>